I want you to hold on to this for a second. So my name is Sarah Farley Bell, and this is Overcoming Barriers to Going, and I am a serve, sorry, they told me I did this intro. Sorry, you're gonna have to clip this. I'm gonna do it again. I never do, I never do my intro like this, so. Hi, this is Sarah Farley Bell, and I'm uh, with the International Mission Board. I am your uh, Southeast student strategist. So I basically help uh, 29 and under go, so families, youth, college, young adults. And this session is what's keeping me from going, overcoming barriers to going. Um, so we're gonna start off with kind of a interactive to kind of get us in the mood for understanding Gen Z. So your name again? Josh. Josh. Josh is our Gen Zer. So Josh, I want you to put your blindfold on. Now I need another volunteer. <laughs> another volunteer. Now listen, I was a campus minister for a while, so I have no problems cold calling. <laughs> volunteer. All right, come on up. And I actually am going to hand this to you, and I want you to read to yourself the instructions at the back. And in a still small voice, when I tell you to go, you're going to just repeat these instructions over and over again. I want you to stand back there. Uh huh. When I tell you to go. All right, I need another volunteer. Okay. This is who you are, and you're going to repeat the instructions in the back in a really, really loud voice. And I want you to stand right here when I tell you to. All right, I need another volunteer. Okay. This is who you are, and I want you to come over here. And you're going to stand right here, and you're going to repeat those instructions, and you're going to yell those in a really loud voice. I need another volunteer. I'm going to need you to. All right. This is who you are, and I want you to yell it with instructions in a really loud voice over and over again. And I want you to go stand right on the other side of Josh. Okay. This is who you are. All right. And you're going to, sorry, you're going to repeat what's in the back, mm -hmm. and you're going to do it in kind of your regular voice. But I want you to go stand back there. Okay. I need one more volunteer. You actually can stay right there. This is who you are, and I want you to repeat this in a still small voice over and over again. Okay, so you're going to repeat all of these instructions just over and over again in the voice I told you to until I tell you to stop. Josh, I yeah. want you to listen and I want you to try to obey the instructions that are being given to you. Okay? <laughs> so you're going to follow them. Okay? Okay. All right, so you ready? On your mark, get set, go. Sit down, sit down, Josh, take your blindfold off. <laughs> so, Josh, how did you feel? I'm confused. Confused, okay. <laughs> and um, yelled at. And yelled at, okay. Could you understand the instructions being given to you? Some. Some. Which ones did you hear? Uh, stand up, one leg, sit down, and something about walking. Okay. All right, I need um, my volunteers in the room to tell us your label and what your instructions were. So. I am culture. And I was 
telling you to stand up. Okay. I'm a social media and I was telling you to sit down. I'm your friends telling you to stand on one leg. Mm -hmm. I'm church telling you to walk. I'm God telling you to smile. I'm parents telling you to hug yourself. <laughs> All right, so which voices did you hear the loudest? Uh, these three. These three. All right. Y'all can go sit down. Good job. Good job. I, I like to do this activity, and if we want to, I'm going to open the door because it's like a sauna in here. We were just, with the game, we closed oh, the door. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I like to start out because I think it's important for us to understand all the different voices that are competing for Gen Z. All right? And the three that are the loudest are the ones that have the most power over them. Um, so culture, social media, and friends, those are who are speaking the loudest right now to Gen Z. And because they're speaking the loudest, they often cannot hear the church, God, or their parents. And that causes a lot of confusion, right? So it's my desire is to kind of help um, the church understand um, the International Mission Board, we are the largest sender of students, so we get um, hundreds and thousands of students going through us every year. So we are seeing tons of applications come in. So we ha kind of have a 30,000 foot view of what students are processing, what they're thinking, what they're struggling with. And so where the voices are coming from and telling them this is what you should be doing, this is what's right. So this um, breakout is kind of to talk about the top five barriers that we see and why we're coming back to the church and pleading with the church to incorporate some of these things back into discipleship younger and younger. Because we with the International Mission Board believe that the church is the sender. You're the one that raises up the student. You're the one that disciples them and healthy. We're just the mechanism, but you are the sender. So um, we're just coming back to the church saying, hey guys, like these are some things that we're observing. We need to look at the church to be the answer to fixing some of these. So the first barrier is relationships, okay? And the number one relationship is parents. Believe it or not, the biggest obstacles for young people going on mission are Christian parents. Not non-believing parents, but Christian parents. Now, there's lots of reasons why, and they're not all bad reasons. We have parent expectations, all right? Parents have expectations for their children. There's nothing wrong with that. They have hopes, they have dreams, they have plans. For some children, I mean, their plan is they're going to go into the family business. That's what they've always known. For some of them, their parents are telling them, hey, you're going to med school. You're going to law school. You're going to be an accountant. You're going into education. That's, that's what they know. And parents, once again, it's not wrong, but there's fears. Sending their child out. They don't have control over things when their child is away from them. So the, the fear of what's going to happen with my child. How can I protect my child? Once again, these are not wrong, but they are a reality. Um, I was a campus minister before I served, started serving with IMB at the University of Georgia, Go Dogs, um, the Holy Land, and arguably the best football team right now in the country. Um, and then uh, before that, I served at LSU. We won't talk about them right now because I'm not happy with their coaching selection. <laughs> but all that to say, um, this is something that we dealt a lot with was parents um, and the, the need for parents to be part of their students' lives. So there's a struggle there. 
Um, and then parents sometimes put responsibilities onto students. So st there, some rightly so. Uh, there are some students that do not have parents that are involved at all, and so the responsibility of the parent role falls to them, not only for their life, but for maybe for their siblings' lives. Um, so there's a lot that comes with that relationship parent. One of the things that we want to encourage churches to do is to invite parents, no matter where they're at on the spiritual spectrum, into the conversations about missions early. So whether you're starting them off in elementary school, which I would encourage you to do, or in middle school or high school, have your student and have it developed into your discipleship curriculum where you're inviting the parent into the conversation. And if they are not believers, then start them off with culture. Send students home with unreached people groups to pray for. Hey, we're learning about this affinity, um, the Americas, and here's the culture of the affinity. Go home and talk about these things. Get parents involved in the conversations at an early point. Next, we're encouraging you guys to start taking parents on trips with you. The best way to help a parent start to become okay with their student going is letting them go on a mission trip with them. So if your church has a family mission trip or has like a son, daughter, son, uh, father, mother, daughter kind of trip, I want to encourage that. Those are ways that you can start investing in parents from an early age. But then also helping teach, and this, is, this one gets a little controversial, and I'm going to step on some toes, so I'm going to apologize, but I'm not sorry, but I'm also sorry. Um, the tension between honoring and obeying. This is something that Jesus himself dealt with with his own mother and his own siblings in the Bible. And this is something that all around the world people have to walk in. The tension between honoring my parent but obeying my Lord. Every day the Lord will call people to follow him and it costs them something. For some people it costs them their family. For some people, it will cost them their life. For some people, it costs them their job. For some, it's their reputation. Following Jesus will cost you something. But how you handle that sacrifice is important. So teaching students honor, teaching students to love, even if there's gonna be a disconnect. So I, I like to bring this story up because I think it's really a beautiful picture. So one of our missionaries, Gordon Fort, he's kind of our ambassador for IMB. Um, his mother and father were doctors in Sub-Sahara Africa. And part of her story and her journey was when she was, you know, a young girl wrestling with a call, her father forbid her to do missions. Like he was not having it. He would not bless it. He was not for it. Um, she went, she got her medical degree, she became a doctor, her and her husband were appointed to go to Africa. And her dad said, no, you do not have my blessing. I do not want you to go. She went um, and that, that broke a relationship. It impacted that relationship. And over the years when they'd come home and she would visit with her parents, um, that relationship was never fully restored there. Like there was always tension in that relationship. Even on his deathbed, there was never the acknowledgement of approving that she could go on missions. And later, she was asked after he died, if you could do it all over again, would you still say yes to going knowing what you know now about your relationship with your father? 
And she said a thousand times yes. In fact, that's the title of her book, A Thousand Times Yes. Because she grappled with the fact that she had to obey the one that she should fear over the one that struggled with it. And she could still love him and she could still honor him. So that's something I think we as a, as a church and as the body, um, we need to really help our young people and help our parents wrestle with honor and obedience and that tension. And even helping parents recognize that at the end of the day, if your child has a calling to go to a strategic city in America or go to a country that's hard overseas, if the Lord's placed that on their life, the parent wrestling with giving that that okay or even supporting it, even if they don't necessarily give the blessing, but then helping the student or the young person wrestle with, what happens if my parents continue to say no, but God's telling me to go? So that's a part of discipleship I think the church really needs to kind of, in this season more so than ever, and I'll just go on and step on all the political toes, COVID, vaccines. In this season more than ever, we have to help our students wrestle with obeying the call to follow Christ, no matter what it costs them and no matter where it takes them. And I think that's something that we need to really help, help our churches grapple with. Second big relationship, friends, dating. Let's be honest, students struggle with FOMO more than ever. And I'm a millennial, so I struggled with FOMO, but it's a whole nother level with Gen Z. All right, they're so connected, they struggle when they're disconnected because they're afraid they're gonna miss something. They're gonna miss the next big thing. They're gonna miss being a part of something, the next big news. They're so connected that they struggle. They're afraid they're gonna be left out, left behind. They're afraid. Their fears of, of being, you know, not a part of major things. So I had a conversation with a couple of college girls that they said no to an opportunity because they were afraid to say no to their friends of being bridesmaids in their weddings. So they missed out on going because they were afraid about missing out on this wedding. And y'all, I mean, that's, that's a reality, that's a struggle that they struggle with. So helping students walk in that tension, once again, of trust. So this all boils down to helping students understand what does it mean to really trust God? Trust Him with your, we talk about this all the time, trust Him with your life, trust Him with your future. That seems so big and broad, but can I trust Him with my relationships? Can I trust Him with, with my hopes for my relationships, my friendships, my dating relationships? The number of girls that say no to Jesus because they're afraid that they're not going to get married? I was at a church in Alabama two weeks ago and I had an 81-year-old woman walk up to me and just sobbing said, I said no to God because I said yes to, to getting married. And I said, well, talk to me about that. And she said, I knew I wasn't supposed to marry this man, but I was afraid no one else would ask me. So I said yes to him. And they ended up having a bad marriage and divorcing him. And she regrets that. And, and this is something I would remind my students all the time. That's a snippet of a story. The reality is we struggle with really trusting God with our relationships. We struggle with trusting God. If I say yes to God now, is he going to be faithful tomorrow? Is he going to be faithful with these things that I want or I need? So 
helping your students understand that this word trust is not just this big kind of ambiguous word out there. Oh, I trust God with my life. I trust God with my future. But it, it really goes down to the micro things that they really struggle with. And do I trust God enough with my friendships? Like, have I put in the time and do I love them as an image bearer enough to say, okay, hey, we're good friends, but you know, I'm gonna go off for a summer, but I'm gonna trust that when I get back, we're gonna be able to hang out again still, because I can trust that friendship. I'm not gonna get left behind that friendship. So how do you help them develop healthy friendships or relationships to where they can miss out, but still feel connected? Where they can say no to this, so I can say yes to this, but not feel left in the dirt or cut out. Because right now with this cancel generation and this cut off generation and this you're out, I mean, that for them is life, is that community. Because once again, they're one of the loudest voices for them. So if they feel disconnected or left out or cut off, they're not gonna ever, ever tune that voice down. So helping develop in them this idea of trust FOMO, fear of missing out. Okay. Fear of missing out. So that's a big thing that they struggle with, fear of missing out. All right, and we're going to spend a little time on this one because this is our biggest one outside of parents. Um, what do you think this one is going to be the, the number one issue in lifestyle for us? Any guess? Social media? Nope. Money. Nope. Making a lot of money. Nope. Nope. Pornography. One in two boys, one in three girls. One in two boys, one in three girls. If you do not, not, not think this is a problem, then I'm here to tell you, you are wrong. And if you do not think this is a problem in your group, then you are wrong. Pornography is by far the most detrimental thing right now we're seeing. So we at the International Mission Board believe that pornography is an addiction. Um, this is something that you need to look at as an addiction, which means this is not just something you ever skate over. The average age now a student is being exposed to, what do you think? 12, 8. say 8. 8 o'clock, 8, yeah, 8. It's 8. The average kid is seeing porn, and we're not talking just half of a naked person. They are seeing graphic pornography at the age of eight. The average child is losing their virginity at the age of 12. This is a big issue, and here's why it is even more so. Gen Z has a very different worldview than anyone else. So up until Gen Z, millennials, boomers, Xers, all of that, our worldview was founded, the foundation was morality. All right, our moral compass was generally the same around the world morally. All right, right and wrong. Stealing is wrong. Doesn't matter what culture you're in, for the most part, stealing's wrong. Telling a lie, doesn't really matter what culture or country you're in, telling a lie is wrong. All right, that would be a moral compass that holds us all together. That was the global worldview. For Gen Z, their global worldview is security. So everything is right and wrong off of security. 
not off of morality. So for them, it is safe and right if it's safe for you. So culture has marketed pornography as safe and healthy and good for you. You don't get STDs. You're not sexually taken advantage of or abused. You're not going to get pregnant. It's good for your mental health. So, biblically and the church should be saying pornography is bad because a whole lot of reasons, but it's taking the role of God first of all. You satisfying yourself over God's plan for that. You've taken the first commandment God has given us and you've decided you're going to have different rules about it. I mean, there's a whole lot that the church could say about pornography. The culture is saying the opposite. And their worldview lines up right now with that. So, there is a struggle with pornography. So if you have not spent time in middle school, the upper part of elementary school, and high school and college dealing with pornography in your groups, you need to. And you need to be talking about it with parents. Because it is a thing. And I'm telling you right now, it's a whole different ballgame. How many of y'all got a Netflix account? The definition of pornography is changing. Their access to it, it's, it's everywhere. We, when we encounter it, because it is an addiction, a student, a young adult, an adult has to be clean for a year. And we use that word clean because we do believe it's an addiction. They have to have gone through counseling and we have a porn module they have to have gone through before they can ever come back with us. Because what happens here magnifies over there. Your sin struggles here because the enemy's out to steal, kill, and destroy. And listen, you're his ambassadors over there. He wants the darkness to shine. He's going after the light. He's going to go after what's at the core of all of us, which is love and acceptance, and all of these things with sexual purity, sexual immorality, gender, all of those things deal with acceptance. So he's going after us. He's going to go after your young people. And this is what's going to get them from ever being able to go and serve in lots of places. And it's going to mess their life up. Marriages, relationships, future, all of that. So please hear me say, you cannot go too young with this now. You've got to start incorporating conversations about this younger and younger. And let me remind you, you, sh you all should know this. Gen Z and Alpha, so Alpha's 13 and under. Well, like 15, 14 is like your bridge, bridge years, but about 13 and under. They are more mentally capable and ready for conversations like this than millennials or Z or Xers or boomers ever were. Their mind is able to handle more adult conversations because they've been exposed to more adult things younger. They're able to comprehend and understand. So I just want to encourage you and plead with you, go younger with this. And with that, I'm going to show you something. Second. I talk about porn first before I talk about gender and sexuality because they're all kind of in together. 
but pornography is the one that the church refuses to over and over again be loud about. And we've got to be loud about it. We've got to take a stand on it. We've got to help people with it. But this is the one that is what I call the sleeping giant that is going to end up taking a hold of our young people. All right, gender and sexuality. Gender, this is where we're at right now, y'all. One in six tweens have changed their pronouns. That's a, that's a serious number, one in six tweens. This was a study done by um, a group that followed uh, this group of young people for five years to kind of see, asking them questions over five years just to kind of see how things change, what they thought, how they interacted with content. And I want you to hear some of this. Let's see. I play with girl toys and boy toys. I don't really care which one is meant for boys or for girls. I just play with them. They're toys. I think gender identity is not what you're born with, but what you are, like um, who you choose to be. Five years ago, I think I was like very insecure. I was just like really small for my age and like really closeted. <laughs> I don't think of people any differently just because like they're LGBTQ. You shouldn't think of people differently just because of who they decide that they like. It doesn't matter what they think. It just matters what like I think and how I imagine myself. Probably coming to the end of last school year, 
I um, went into discovering my own gender as of. I'm gonna stop that right there. If you want the full thing, I can send it. There's actually like a 30 minute thing. I wanted y'all to see that because I hope you saw how young they started. And the expressions and the words that they use, I feel, I believe, I'm the one that defines my gender. So here's where the big issue is. And this is why I'm coming back to the church and saying we need you guys to, to step up here. The theology of God is at stake. God is the one who creates. We believe biblically that God created man and woman, right, in His image. And that He gave us our gender on purpose and for purpose. God does not make a mistake. He cannot make a mistake. He cannot choose wrongly for you. So do you see what's happening here? Is as young people are working through the, def the defining of their gender and their choosing of their gender, what they're saying is, guess who got it wrong? God. And if God gets my gender wrong, what else is God going to get wrong? Can I really trust Him? Because I don't feel this way. So maybe I can't trust him. So why are you coming at me about God? It is more important than ever for us to start pouring into elementary and middle school children the theology of who God is as creator. Who God is as your label maker. And that is why I say this is the sleeping giant. Because, yes, on the surface, it seems like a minor issue to talk about what pronouns you're using and how you're identifying to an extent. Because, you know, at least we're not talking about sexuality here. You know, at least we're not talking about sex and, you know, same-sex attraction. We're just talking about gender circles. But this is a really big deal. Because this cuts to the core of everything that we believe. And this cuts to the core of everything that's stated in the Bible about God. And more so than ever, it is important for us to talk about that. So I want to encourage you, if you have not developed into your curriculum, God is creator of gender, I want to encourage you to do that. And let me talk to you guys a little bit about men. And I'm going to come from this, from the IMB standpoint. We are asking people to grab a hold of the fact that God created men on purpose and for purpose as a man. Because the 1040 window, which is the largest concentration of lostness, is made up of two major religious cultures that need men to talk to men. We have more female missionaries than we do male missionaries. So reminding students and guys, hey, God made you a man on purpose, for a purpose, and maybe it's so that you can go talk to these Muslims over here. Because I can't. You can't. But you can. So reminding students that their gender is on purpose and for purpose. And if you have not 
drilled 139 psalms into their heads. He did it in your womb. Like he, he didn't just, oh wait, Johnny's gonna be this. So that is so important to start helping young people because their cultural worldview is being solidified at the end of elementary school, being in a middle school. Something else she said, I thought, um, this was our girl that expressed about feelings, all right? Encouraging in your discipleship material the tension between the heart and the mind. The tension between where emotions have a role and where emotions should not play a role. Right now, our culture tells us your feelings should dictate everything you do. Well, I just inherited four kids and one is 9, 13, 15, 17. Every week they have a different food they don't like. And every week they have a different food they do like. And it's not always the same. And one liked ribs last week, one hates ribs this week. One liked pizza last week and one likes pizza. Now they like pizza again and they didn't like pizza this week. I mean, the feelings, I mean, the scripture talks about, you know, your emotions will trick you, your feelings will trick you. Don't be led by your feelings. But culture is telling them to be led by their feelings. So developing that into your discipleship earlier and earlier is going to be important. I'm not gonna spend a lot more time on this, except I am gonna dive into sexuality just a little bit. So we are seeing this on our applications, students struggling with same-sex attraction, students walking um, through wanting to change genders. Uh, I will tell you this, you may not have a student in your ministry that struggles with this, but I guarantee you, and I will put my life on this, 100% of your students affirm it and accept it. And if you don't believe me, go just look at their social media. Look at who they're liking, look at who they're following, look at who they're talking about. They, they have no problems with it. Be the first fall, you say they, have they, don't, they affirm it, they don't have a problem with it, yeah. Because, and this is what's gonna get to in a little bit, we'll talk about more, the, the understanding of sin for Gen Z has, ch has changed, all right? Sin for them, because remember the security, safety is their moral compass, and let me tell you, this is why Gen Zers make great church members and great, great believers. They love people well. They care about other people. They want to champion other people, all right? But it's also about safety and security of other people. So, listen. If you have a problem with my friend that's gay, you're wrong. You're the sinner, not them. In fact, I'm, I'm good because I'm loving. I'm accepting, but you're wrong. And they're not using that word sin because they don't really understand it. They're using the word wrong. You're wrong. You know what, you don't recycle, you're wrong. Because recycling, listen, they're not sustaining the earth. You're hurting the earth. You're harming the earth. You're hurting my future. Security. You're wrong. But you know what? Pornography, that's not bad. You know, and it's okay if I lie if it's protecting others. So you see where they're, they're, they're unsteady about some of this. And a lot of it goes back to the breakdown with gender and sexuality. 
Um, real quick, because I know we're kind of running on time. If you can do anything, I want to encourage you to dive into identity. You've got to help them understand who can give them a label, because they're struggling with labels, labels left and right. What label do you feel like today? Who's going to give you a label tomorrow? That's what they're doing, all right? So you can help with this. You can help by teaching them who can give a label. So Nike check, who can put the Nike check on something? Nike. Can UGA put the Nike check on their jersey? If they, they pay, if they purchase the license, right? So your manufacturer and your purchaser are the only ones that can put a label on something. See where I'm going with this? Who manufactured you? God. He's the only one that can put the label on you. He can put your gender label on you. And he can put shot of God on you. He can put image bearer on you. My, my, my creation on you. He can put anything he wants on you because he created you. And then guess who else can put something on you? Jesus, because he purchased you. Mine. Saved. Helping students at a young age understand those two foundational things about their identity is so important. And you can't go young enough. Because the world's coming at them. Amen. So you've got to help. The church is the line of defense here. The other thing with identity I want to encourage you guys to grab a hold of is, y'all, when it comes to sexuality, I, I'm in a small group right now, and I've got two 16-year-old girls, and they're struggling with this. They're not believers yet. I had the conversation, and this, you may at me later, but that's okay. I told them, I said, we're not going to talk about this here, because you know what? You can't vote, so we're not going to politicize anything about sexuality. Number two, you're not old enough to get married, so you're going to be abstinent. We're going to talk about abstinence, because that's God's plan no matter what. No matter what culture says, God's plan is for sex and marriage. So we're not going to talk about that. So I'm going to encourage you to be abstinent, and we're just not going to talk about the political stuff. Let's just talk about Jesus. And so working through developing that labels and helping them sift through, they're 16. They don't need to be doing all this other stuff. So helping them just kind of get to the point where I can start discipling them about Jesus. Follow me. That's what Jesus said, right? And as the disciples followed him, they learned more and more. And they believed, and they believed. But when the disciples truly grab a hold of it? Hmm? When they met the risen Jesus. Because they followed him for a long time. And they encountered everything about him. They heard about him. But they weren't at the tomb with welcome back Jesus signs. They weren't. It wasn't until they encountered the risen Savior that it changed it all. And we've got to get students to a point when they encounter the risen Savior, it does change everything. And we have to believe that and we have to help them believe that. That's what will change their mindset. But you've got to get them in there. So I want to encourage you. And if you have students that are struggling with this, it is hard in youth groups dealing with that. I get that. We were at Conclave and I had a whole conversation with a group that was trying to figure out how to have a retreat with two students that were changing their gender pronouns. It is worth figuring out how to have students in a room where they can hear truth because no one else is speaking truth to them. 
And let me tell you what students need right now more than ever. They need steady, they need dependable, and they need truth. And they need acceptance from the body of Christ, not for as they are, but acceptance knowing that they can get to Jesus. Acceptance knowing that there's a place for them to come and sit and to learn and to encounter Jesus. And that's where we've got to really grab a hold of this. They can come as they are, but they're not going to leave the same. And they can come as they are, but you've got to have the environment where they can connect with Jesus that's going to change it. And that's what we're encouraging people because we're getting so many different applications where we're seeing the struggle. And we're going back to these churches and saying, hey guys, your young people are struggling with this. Or, I got 200 jobs for journeymen that can't get filled because I don't have people that can go. May I ask a question? Yeah, please. So, you're getting applications from these, these folks that are struggling. Is, I guess, does the church, is it, do they vet these, these folks in advance? Yes, the church vets them. They're supposed to. They're supposed to. Yeah. Yep. Okay, moving on real quick because we don't have a ton of time. So finances, this is the other thing. And I'm going to tell you, this is not about debt because debt is no longer a major issue for us because we recognize debt is a part of everything and we will work with you to figure out how you can still go because debt's just a part of it now. The big thing, oops, the big thing is financial freedom and security. So students are more concerned with their security, right? So they're concerned that they're going to miss out on getting financially set. They're concerned about missing out on their internship to get them to the right job. They're concerned about those things. The largest buying power right now in the world is under 29. Let me just throw this number out at you. I want you to sit in this. 7.1 billion people on the planet. 52% of that population is under 29. So you see, we don't just need missionaries. We have to have them. Because students reach students. Young people reach young people. But you're looking at 52% of the population of the world is under 29 with the largest buying power, with the largest spending power. So finances and financial security is huge for these students. That's why you got 15-year-olds already thinking about businesses. Over a fourth of Etsy stores are owned by kids under 18. I don't know if you knew that or not. It's, it's unreal. Like these, these kids are smart, but they are concerned about finances. Not because of debt, but because they want financial security. And they want the six-figure job when they're 25 because they see it everywhere. They want that. And then the last big, well, second to last big barrier, we kind of talked about a little bit, is biblical illiteracy. Young people don't know the Bible. Just real talk to you guys. The other big thing that they don't know, do not have a whiteboard marker. Okay, when you hear the word missions, what do you think about? Going overseas. Going overseas. Evangelism. Unreached people, groups. Unreached people groups. 
So when I ask students that question, you want to know what the number one thing I get? Helping others or loving others. So let me give you the IMB's definition. All right. So first of all, missions is not about the gospel. Being a Jesus follower is about the gospel. When you follow Jesus, you should be sharing the gospel, right? Follow me and I will what? Make you fishers of men. Right? Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Everywhere you go, you should be sharing about me. So the gospel is not, mission's not the point. Okay? The gospel is, as you follow Jesus, you should be sharing the gospel. That's not missions. Missions is when you take that and you go to something different. You cross a culture. All right? So that can be a different neighborhood. That can be a different part of your state. That can be a different language group. That can be a different country. But missions is when you take being a Jesus follower and taking the gospel and you cross to something that's not the same as you. All right, that's why we see the change in the church, right? We went from Jews to the Gentiles. All right, that's when it started crossing. You started seeing that. All right, so you got the same discipleship's happening and now you go to different. All right. And I bring this up because this is where semantics start to matter. And this is where with our Barna study, we saw the changing of understanding the Bible and the changing of understanding sin. Young people cannot tell you as a whole the gospel. I will sit there and ask time and time again, tell me what the gospel is. When I was a campus minister, I asked my leadership, 75 students, I want to hear every one of your stories. Do you want to know what they kept missing? Sin. Creation and fall. They, they can't explain it. They can't talk about it. They don't understand it because, number one, their generation, sin is changing. The way you talk about it changes. But then understanding how important it is to know why we need Jesus. Not just because, you know, the hope of Jesus, who Jesus is, and, and the effects of Jesus. We've got to know why we need Jesus. And we've got to have young people that can understand that and can say that because, once again, 52% of the population is under 29. So we've got to have young people talking about the gospel overseas or to people who don't know about Jesus. So if they're not using a correct understanding of the gospel language or the Bible language, do you see where there can be some misinterpretation? Do you see where syncretism starts to slip in? Things start meshing together? Jesus becomes all feel good. It becomes progressive Christianity, which is hot right now. All right, the evolution of God, the evolution of Jesus, all right, the inclusivity and inclusivity, not the inclusivity and the exclusivity. So this is where we go back to the church and say, you cannot start too young with biblical literacy. Understanding the story of the Bible, understanding the actual text, understanding not just the theology of God, but understanding how to how to grab a hold of the gospel in its full form, and how to be able to translate that into everyday language to their peers. They gotta be able to understand that. These students are bumping up against the Bible's not true, 
which we've all done that at some point, but it's on a whole other level now. So you've got to go back and say, how do we help our young people grab a hold of the Bible, grab a hold of the truth of the Word, like we believe in God, we believe in the Word and that it is inerrant and it is the truth. Like, how do you help translate that? But then how do you teach them about the stories? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Rahab, David, Saul, like teaching them the Bible. Because when they know the Bible, when they understand all those intricate stories, the way they're able to communicate that, the way they're able to bridge it into their own lives, it, it changes everything. And y'all, that's what, the word is powerful. We all know this, it speaks for itself. So when they're able to talk about those stories, that's how we present the gospel all around the world is we're storing the Bible. But the number of students we have to go back and say, hey, we need you to go back and reread half these, these stories because they didn't know them. It's amazing the number of students that learn storying when they come and serve with us. And they come back like, we never knew. Or I learned so much about the Bible because I learned how to story the Bible. Biblical literacy is huge. So going back, and you cannot start too young with this. Instead of just teaching, which they're not bad, teaching about the fruits of the Spirit or teaching about the character, you know, character studies for students, that's not bad. But going back and teaching them the Word, teaching them who is who and why God and why Jesus and why the Holy Spirit and why the church and why what's happening today is fleshing out from the Scripture. I mean, helping them understand all of that, it's huge. And the last one is anxiety. Anxiety is huge, and we've all struggled with anxiety, but it is amplified more now in Gen Z. Gen Z, because of security, and this is the group that grow, has grown up with school shootings. I have a five-year-old nephew that's had two school shooting drills lately. I mean, and just since January. These are the students that are filled with, you know, paradoxes and filled with contradictions. I'm going to step on some more toes and I'm sorry, but so my mom works in Gwinnett County in Georgia. It's the fifth largest county in the country and DFACS, Department of Children and Family Services, asked Gwinnett County to go back in person because Gwinnett County was the largest reporter of abuse. So a place where they are championed, where they are encouraged to be safe, also is a place where they go every day and I mean I could get shot. I'm, I'm doing drills to teach me how to maybe survive the unexpected one day. So they go every day to a place that's supposed to be a safe haven but it also could be a death trap. They, they don't know. Their world is full of drastic contradictions so they live in constant anxiety. And then we have not taught them how to fail and we have not taught them about real life stress. So, some of the reasons why it's increasing besides that, like I said, unstable homes and abuse. So there's not the stable family unit, I would argue, anywhere at this point. And that's okay, let me clarify. The Bible is full of unstable families. 
I tell people all the time, you want to see some unstable families, go read the word. I mean, you know, us, I mean, King David's family, hello, Jesus' family, hello. You know, I mean, the Bible is full of unstable families. So it's not just unstable families causing anxiety. It's the way that students are not being encouraged how to deal with unstable families. There is not a complete or perfect family in the Bible. There isn't one. I mean, even starting out, brother killed a brother. I mean, so it's not just because of unstable families, but it's what happens in unstable families. And the, and the church and the culture has not helped students understand how to deal with that and how to find stability in unstability. Um, abuse, social issues, cultural pressures are shifting. So family dynamics, this is a huge one. Um, you have, especially out of COVID, so you have family shifting, parents all working together, not working together. All of these things are causing anxiety. Um, the number one reason for deaths in children under 18, suicide. Um, it used to be number two, it's now number one um, through COVID. Uh, medical shifts are occurring, so we're changing the way we're talking about anxiety. So one of the things that we need to make sure that we're helping young people understand is not everything is clinical anxiety. And I know that's hard to, hard to stomach, but there is clinical diagnosable anxiety, there is cultural anxiety, and then there is life stress. A senior in college should feel anxiety and stress because this is the first time in 21, 22, depending on how many times they've laughed it, 23 years, that they, aren't, they don't have a very clear next step that was, that was predestined for them. I often say freedom, if you wanna talk theology, freedom sometimes gives us more anxiety than when things are laid out for us. They should be feeling stressed. A high school senior should be feeling stressed. Once again, first time. Their parents aren't telling them what to do. They maybe get a choice in where they wanna go, what? Some of them don't, but some of them do. You didn't study for that big test. You should feel anxiety going into that test. Helping students understand the differences between these is really important, and no one else is doing it, so I go back to the church and say, I had to pull two students off the field this past summer because of anxiety. They couldn't leave their apartment because they couldn't handle the cultural change. And it just breaks our hearts. But y'all, this is where we have, the church has to come back and say, okay guys, let's talk about it. Being uncomfortable should give you a little stress, but it's okay to be uncomfortable. And not to always Jesus, bring Jesus into things, but I mean, do you think he was comfortable going to the cross? Nope. We learned about that in the garden. I mean, goodness, he was crying tears of blood. It's pretty intense. Being uncomfortable and being stressed should not cripple you or keep you from doing things. And that's where I wanna encourage you, if you have not started incorporating some of that conversation into your discipleship, into your parents, into your small groups, I wanna encourage you to do some of that, that tension between being uncomfortable and life versus actual clinical. Helping them sift through that. Um, uh, 
And then obviously the feeling judged. Gen Z struggles with this because once again, it, it's hurtful. You know, once again, this deals with emotions. The judgment piece. So, and this is where I think the church really has done well in some parts and can do better in other parts, but that tension between God as judge and God as grace and compassion. And once again, helping them understand that even as a church, like, I'm going to tell you you're wrong for certain things. So yes, I am judging you for certain things. But let me tell you how to get out of that or let me tell you how to move past that and move beyond that or turn from that. So making sure you're always following it with that truth and that grace piece. Um, but I think this is important. If you have not done anything with suicide awareness, I do want to encourage you to do that. Uh, it, it is a growing pandemic. Um, and you do have shows and unfortunately popular culture that um, have glorified suicide and even heroized suicide um, to the point where it's disturbing and some people feel like it's a natural way out but there's not the reality that you don't get a do-over with death like this isn't just a news reel that ends and you get to restart or the end of an episode like this is it and the reality of hell is is not understood um, so I do want to encourage you, if, if you haven't had some of those conversations, um, I want to encourage you to have those conversations. Um, ESPN published last year an article, and it was about a, a, college, a collegiate athlete. She was a runner, and she committed suicide. She ran off the top of a parking deck. And her peers were saying how poetic and how beautiful it was as an athlete. I mean, that's the way she chose to go was in her favorite running shoes, running off a parking deck. I mean, that just breaks your heart because it's like, you know, there, there was no hope there. And so that, that is my plea to you guys is there is an opportunity for the church to step out and say there is hope. And there is nothing that is worth you taking your own life. And if you feel like it is, come to us. Let us help you. Let us move you past that. We want to champion that. Um, so what we do, I just want to challenge you once again, dealing with these four things with Gen Z, this will help them to be able to go tomorrow. If they can grab a hold of significance, if they can grab a hold of identity, if they can grab a hold of biblical acceptance, not the world's version of acceptance, but biblical acceptance. And if they can grab a hold of biblical love, and not just tolerance, because tolerance is a cliche term that has transitioned and actually is a dangerous word to use. But they can grab a hold of what does biblical love look like? The major issue of gender, sexuality, and anxiety are all the evidences that students are not just dealing with behavior and character and morality issues as we've seen from generations in the past, but they deal with identity and significance and acceptance. Those internal issues, those personality issues, they struggle with the inward manifestations more so than the outward manifestations. That's just the icing on the cake for them. It's that inward manifestation that they struggle with. So what does this mean for the future of the church? Well, we're excited because, honestly, 
It means that the church right now, more so than anywhere else, has the opportunity to be the voice. So Gen Z, guess who they're willing to listen to? Other adults. So this is like a win for the church. Never in our entire history has we had the opportunity where people want to listen to us or they're willing to listen to us. This is exciting. This generation wants to listen. And that's exciting. We've got to start intentionally discipling younger and younger. And that's a plea because I think that's so important. And we need open and safe places for conversation. Once again, that tension in a rubber band doesn't work unless it's in tension. That tension between you're invited to come in, we're not going to affirm, but we're going to invite, we're going to welcome you to come and learn and come and understand and come and experience Jesus and be changed. And that's important. And remember, I can't keep saying this enough, your students are already affirming and accepting of lifestyle issues that contradict what we believe the Bible says. So if you haven't gone through that series, you need to go through that series. Um, if we are ones not helping shape their narratives, culture is going to. As you saw right here, the loud voices will shape that narrative. So you have an opportunity to shape the narrative as you grab them younger. That's where you can get them. Um, and we need to, like I said, help them walk in uncomfortable. And here's the good news, because this is what makes me excited. This is why I love working with students. Y'all, they are incredible. This is going to be your biggest sending force. This is going to be the one that will change your community. These are the kids that advocate for each other. They will advocate for your people. These are your smart ones. I mean, you want something done in the church and you need something innovative, get a Gen Zer to think about it and they're going to come up with something that's, that's going to rock you. It's amazing. They want sustainability, y'all. And what's the most sustainable thing on the planet? Jesus. Jesus is the most sustainable thing on the planet. And that's what they want. They want to be in community. Hello, the church. You know, and this is what I get excited about is they are reachable. They are diverse. They are already a picture of what the church should be. They just need the church to grab them instead of culture. And that's what I'm excited about because I'll be honest with you, and this is one of the reasons why I am a Southern Baptist, is because I do believe our churches are doing that. And that's why we're able to send so many. That's why we are the largest sender because our churches are, our churches are sending us good students and we're able to send them out. So keep doing this, keep being awesome. So just make sure you are really, really honing in early, early, early discipleship, 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 biblical worldview. I just can't keep emphasizing that one enough. Um, so this is just a couple of last minute things. And then just a reminder, 52% of the world is under 29. So you can kind of see the epicenter of where young people are moving. So we actually, um, we are predicting in the next five years. So the epicenter of the world is shifting. And I put some maps over there because I think it's important to see this. So the IMB has the most incredible research team in the world. And in fact, any other number you read, it's coming from our research team. But this is the most accurate depiction right now of the world's population and evangelicals. So the dark blue is population density and the yellow is evangelicals. So you can see 
where their big holes are at, right? Here's what I get excited about though, even though it's really depressing when you start thinking about, goodness, there's so many lost places we've got to go. I want you to look at where the greatest concentration of evangelicals are. So, yeah. We're in it. So we can go. We have privilege. I don't know if you've, you've grabbed a hold of that, but you have American privilege, which means you have more access to funds, more access to time, more access to abilities to go. You are welcome in over 120 countries with your passport. That's not the same for everybody else. With great privilege comes great responsibility. <laughs> you like how I twisted that Spider-Man? Seriously though, I do want to challenge y'all to think about that when you're talking with your people. You have so much the world doesn't have. You literally can Google a ticket and get on it and pay with a credit card and be gone in the next like 48 hours. Just saying. Not many other places can do that. Ask an international student if you doubt me. But look at where the second greatest is. And I get really excited thinking about this. Anyone know what these countries are? China and South Korea. So South Korea right now is one of our globalization partners that's sending missionaries into places that we can't get into. But it's so cool to see like the Lord is moving in China in spite of persecution, in spite of what's been going on in the past two years and what's going on now. It's just exciting to see the Lord is in. But we got a lot of other ground we got to get to. And he's choosing to use us. So Rev 7-9, right? That's, that's what we believe the end is. The multitude worshiping the Lord from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And we get to be part of that. And honestly, that's Gen Z is going to be the stewards of that, given the population of the earth. So I want to encourage you to raise your, your students up, raise your young people up understanding that when they say I want to follow Jesus that doesn't mean I want to follow Jesus and just stay in Jerusalem it means I want to follow Jesus and go wherever he's going to take me so just want to end on that thank y'all for listening I know it's super I have questions yeah when can mm -hmm. I schedule you to come do this talk to my parents yeah. oh I'd love to come talk to your parents I do I'll come talk to your parents yeah I even have a whole parent resource I'll give them. Um, do we have access to your slideshow? Yes, I have my business cards here. If you will grab one and shoot me an email, I will send you the, the slideshow and I'll send you a couple other resources. We're currently working. On, please take a map and then I have a brochure about how your students can go. Thank you guys.